Okay, so uh, here comes Fargo. Um, I'm Roger Deakins, and uh, I was the director of photography on, on the movie. It's a long time since I've seen this film. It's interesting just watching the opening credits. So remember, we shot in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, based in Minneapolis in Minnesota. And uh, yeah, most of the film's meant to take place in, like, snowstorms. And this opening sequence, we had to wait for uh, weeks and weeks before we got our first snowfall. And um, the day it really snowed, we were actually shooting on the 14th floor of a tower block, a different sequence. So actually, um, I sent out my assistant to shoot this shot <laughs> with the transport guys, and off they went. We'd, we'd scouted the locations, and we knew exactly the camera angles. So um, off he went and shot this really lovely material. <laughs> but neither Joel or Ethan or myself were, were actually there. It was one of the um, least snowy winters on record, I believe, in Minnesota. So a lot of the snow you see in the rest of the film is actually created with a, an ice chipping machine. <laughs> but this was for real. Just love the music. These shots, we stood there in these empty fields when we scouted and there was no snow or anything, and we just marked spots on the ground where the camera was going to be and what lens we were going to shoot on, because we knew when, when we actually got to shoot it, we wouldn't have much time. Yeah. I've worked with Bill actually on a film called Homicide with David Mamet a few years previously, so I knew him pretty well when we did this. This is a wonderful little bar. We really didn't do much to it. Just changed a few light bulbs and uh, had these guys sitting in this little pool of light above the table. Be here at 7.30. What gives, man? Shep said 8.30. We've been sitting here an hour. He's peed three times already. Oh, I'm sure sorry. Shep told me 8.30. It was a mix-up, I guess. You got the car? Yeah, you bet. It's out in the lot there. Brand new burnt umber Sierra. Yeah, okay. Well, sit down, then. I'm Carl Showalter. This is my associate, Gare Grimsrud. 
Yeah, how you doing? So, we all set on this thing then? Sure, Jerry, we're all set. Why wouldn't we be? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure you are. Shep vouched for you and all. I got every confidence here in you fellas. I've worked with Joel and Ethan a lot. You know, a lot now, many times, actually. We just finished the seventh film together. And um, they're incredibly well prepared. They know exactly the kind of the angles they want, the kind of feel of the scene. Everything's very, very structured. Um, so the shoot becomes, even on a shoot like this with conditions weren't exactly the easiest to work in, it was actually made a lot more comfortable, much easier to, to do because we knew exactly what was needed for the scenes. I give you a brand new vehicle in advance and then- I'm not gonna debate you, Jerry. Okay. I'm not gonna sit here and debate. I will say this though, what Shep told us didn't make a whole lot of sense. Oh no, it's real sound. It's all worked out. You want your own wife kidnapped? Yeah. You, my point is, you pay the ransom, what, 80,000 bucks? I mean, you give us half the ransom, 40,000, you keep half. It's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, okay, see, it's not me paying the ransom. The thing is, my wife, she's wealthy. Her dad, he's real well off. Now, I'm in a bit of trouble. What kind of trouble are you in, Jerry? Well, that's, that's, I'm not gonna get into, into, see, I just need the money. Now, her dad, he's real well off. So, why don't you just ask him for the money? Or your fucking wife, you know. Or your fucking wife, Jerry. Well, it's all part of this. They don't know I need it, see? Okay, so there's that. And even if they did, I wouldn't get it. So there's that on top then. See, these are personal matters. Personal matters? Yeah, personal matters that needn't... Uh... Okay, Jerry. You're tasking us to perform this mission, but you won't... Uh... You won't... Oh, fuck it. Let's take a look at that Sierra. Uh, Pre-production. It's very most important part of any movie, really. Um, we spend we spend a number number of weeks just um, going through storyboards and looking at locations and really working out exactly what, as I said, what we want out of a sequence. Um, this film is different in a, in a in a way. I was going to come to that. Fargo is like a, the caption says at the beginning. It's based on a true story. Well, it's based on a number of different incidents. This is not really a true story. Um, obviously, <laughs> but there, there were some events that happened, I think, that the, the boys constructed the script from. Um, and because of that, we wanted to make it much more observational than, say, Barton Fink or Hadsucker Proxy. So it's much, it's, it's much more... Um, the camera work is much more restrained, really. There's not a lot of kind of fast tracks and... and, um, and flowery sort of uh, camera work and camera moves. It's it's much more observational, much more restrained. Yeah, I mean, you see just the lush sequence in the bar there with Steve Buscemi and uh, Peter Stramar, Bill and Bill Macy. It's just basically played on two two simple angles. And and here again in this um, in this kitchen scene, it's just they're very very simple angles, just very sort of played very sort of straight and direct as, as, as all, all those, you're just observing these people in this crazy situation. I think it really enhances the sort of the story. You, do, you don't need to add um, your visual sort of pyrotechnics to, 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 to gloss it up because it is this sort of, 
very kind of bizarre, but it, it story, but it's more bizarre because it's played so straight, you know. And it's such wonderful performances. I mean, you don't need to do much to that. This could work out real good for me and Gene and Scotty. Gene and Scotty never have to worry. Yeah, this was cold. Again, this whole scene between these two guys in the car, it's just played on these two cross angles, these two cross singles, single shots. It's very, very simple, but it's kind of all you need, I think. You know, a lot of the time, a lot of times, um, filmmakers get too involved in in showing off with a camera, but it's really about characters and uh, performance and atmosphere, you know. That said, obviously we did a few pyrotechnics or you know, like a few dizzy sort of camera things in Hudsucker or something like that. But it's a, you know, it's a, it's a different concept, you know, a different kind of film. We a lot of the locations we went to. It's a, it was funny with um, with Rick as a designer. We we look at these locations and and Joel and Ethan would look at each other and say, "Nah, it's too interesting." They wanted really sort of the feel of sort of bland Middle America. And this this uh, location here, which actually is a it was a little build-on location. I mean, the important thing was to have this traffic behind Bill Macy's shot here this endless stream of people going back and forth, you know, I mean, it's it's a subtle thing, but it's just a comment on, you know, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> it's a comment, take it what you reach any way you want, but it's a visual gag. All right, I'll talk to my boss. Especially as, as he's a car salesman. See, they install that true code at the factory. There's nothing we can do, but I'll, I'll talk to my boss. These guys here, these guys, it's always the same. It's always more. You going to the Gophers on Sunday? Oh, you betcha. You wouldn't have an extra ticket. You kidding? Well, he never done this before, but seeing as it's special circumstances and all, he says I can knock a hundred dollars off that true code. One hundred. You lied to me, Mr. Lundgaard. You're a bald-faced liar. That's one of the problems of shooting in in in, uh, in Minnesota in the winter is uh, the amount of light you get, the amount of daylight you get. So you have to kind of shoot around the daylight. You know, you shoot like that scene. You shoot. We shot the shot towards Bill. Well, we had light. I think by the time we were shooting the other angle, there was no light, so it's, uh, but you're not seeing the window, so it's all lit. That statue was uh, built for us and stuck up by the highway there. It was funny. I don't know what people thought when they drove by it, but it was there for a long time. talking about your potential. Mm -hmm. You're not a C student. 
Yeah. Yet you're getting C grades. It's that disparity there that concerns your dad and me. Uh -huh. You know what a disparity is? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is a case of this sort of simplicity of shooting, just playing, playing the scene and that simple two shot, and then the boy turns around and you go into singles. It's, it's very very simple coverage, and it's. I mean, I love that way of doing it, really. Hun? Yeah, he's here. Yeah, I'll catch him for you, hun. Yeah. It's Dad. Yeah, okay. Look, Dad, there's no fucking way that Scotty. Hey, let's watch that language there. How you doing there, Wade? What's going on there? Uh, nothing, Wade. How you doing there? Stan Grossman looked at your proposal. He says it's pretty sweet. No kidding. Might be interesting. No kidding. Uh, I, I need the cash. Everything is storyboarded. Um, in a way, not so much on this film, on Fargo, but um, it's we still had storyboards of every, basically every setup. But um, I think maybe a little bit more was was made up with, on Fargo than than normally. Obviously, with a film like Barton Fink or Hudsucker Proxy, it's it's more important that every shot is actually boarded because it's some of the shots are quite elaborate. Um, but this was boarded too. I mean, the, the, the John and Ethan like to do that. Like they like to be really prepared and they like to be able to see the storyboards to see how the film actually flows together I think it really helps them visualize and sort of pace it you know so just a simple shot like this with Bill Macy walks into the uh, car mechanics there I mean we knew we were starting on a single and revealing the guy working under the car and uh, so it's it's very it's very well laid out. I mean that's not to say that when you're on location that doesn't change. I mean it does, and obviously the shot, you know, the shot is 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 developed to to suit the location or suit what the actors are actually going to do with it. But you see that it's it's just one shot. Brings Bill in, play the dialogue, and Bill walks off again. We had to shoot these close-ups in the car um, against this concrete side of the freeway because there was no snow left, and there's meant to be there's meant to be snow. It's the only place we could find where we could get away with the fact there wasn't any snow. And and um, and that one's another from another place. Sears in uh, Chicago or John Hancock Building, whatever. You never been to Minneapolis? Nope. Would it kill you to say something? I did. No. It's the first thing you've said in the last four hours. That's a, that's a fountain of conversation, man. That's a geyser. I mean, whoa, Teddy, stand back, man. Shit. You know, I'm sitting here driving, doing all the driving, man, whole fucking way from Brainerd, driving, just trying to chat, you know, Keep our spirits up, fight the boredom of the road, and you can't say one fucking thing just in the way of conversation. Oh, fuck it. I don't have to talk either, man. See how you like it. Just total fucking silence. Two could play at that game, smart guy. We'll just see how you like it. Total silence. This is Riley Diefenbach from GMAC. How are you this morning? Real good. How are you doing? Pretty good, Mr. Lundegaard. You're damn...
I mean, it's even simple little shot like this, this like storyboard, they just push in, but and we decided to do it through the blinds. So you got the the effect of these bars in front of Bill. Yeah. A subtle thing, but it's kind of nice. It's okay. The loans are in place. I already got the the what the. Yeah, the uh, three hundred twenty thousand. You got the money last month. Yeah. So we're all set then. Yeah, but the vehicles that you're borrowing on, I I just can't read the serial numbers on your application. Maybe if you could just uh, read them. Yeah, but the deal's already done. I already got the money. Yes. Well, we have an audit here. I just. And instead of cutting, the camera's just slowly pushing in. You know, as the conversation gets. Yeah, more and more tedious. <laughs> he gets more and more trapped. Gets more and more flustered. Uh, but, uh, see, um, I don't have them in front of me. Why don't I just fax you over a copy? No, no, well, no fax is no good. That's what I have, and I, I can't read the darn yeah. thing. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll have my girl send you a copy then. Okay, because if I can't correlate this note with the specific vehicles, then I gotta call back that money. Yeah, how much money was that? Three hundred twenty thousand. I gotta correlate that money with the cars it's being lent on. Yeah. Okay. No problem. I'll just fax that right over no, no, to no, you. No, no, no. Fax it. I mean, send it over. I'll shoot it right over okay. to you then. Okay. Fine. Okay. Real good then. We're back with Katie Carlson. Hi. Now, before we get going here, we just want to remind. I mean, that's a great television set, isn't it? I mean, look at that. With Twin City Travel. We'll be leading a two-week riverboat trip down the Nile. It's a terrific time. I know you've heard about it. We want all of you to come with. And that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, for those of you who just joined us... This was a first day shooting, actually, in this house. It was, we were kind of lucky because we had this snow outside and we had this lovely grey light, which always makes it um, easier to do this sort of thing where you're looking inside out. Uh, it just really suited the scene to this really soft grey light. It's very funny. I always wonder what the neighbours were thinking. Again, you can see that the way it's constructed, it's just very simple shots. It's still all worked out, you know. She falls out, down onto the floor, cut, going up the stairs in and over. It's all done in very simple cuts. You don't have to cover all the action, you can just do it in pieces. Now, this bathroom was a set because we had to do more in there than we could do in the real bathroom, so there's a little a little um, roof set piece outside the windows. Yeah, this is a funny shot. Yeah, very particular shot the guys had thought about basically before before the set was built or anything. They wanted this effect of him looking in the mirror and then looking at the the screen on the bath, you know, the curtain. And that it's all all very calculated. And then how she's running around like she's some ghost. That's back on location again, obviously. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is the uh, the building. This is the office we were shooting in the day of the blizzard when my assistant went out and shot that opening title shot. <laughs> we were up here because we wanted to see the view of the countryside in the snow out the window. And it was like snowing so hard. It was the only day we got a blizzard and all the shooting. And it's, I mean, it was kind of, it looks okay there. You can just see it, but it's uh, almost white out outside the window. It's like we could have been on the ground floor and just papered the windows. But you do see it here. You see a little bit. Yeah. But we never talked about your fee for bringing it to us. No, but Wade, see, I was bringing you this deal for you to loan me the money to put in. It's my deal here, see. It's kind of a struggle to. To, to shoot a scene like this on the 14th floor of a building because you can't put any lights outside the window to to light the set. What are you saying? You're saying we put in all the money and you collect when it pays off. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'd, I'd, I'd pay you back the principal and interest. Heck, I'd, I'd go one over prime. A bit frustrating when you go up there and the point of being there is for the view. Talk to old Bill Deal. He's at North Star. He's at... No, no. See, I... <laughs> I don't need a, a finder's fee. I need... Finder's fee's, what, 10%? Heck, that's not going to do it for me. I need the principal. Well, Jerry, we're not going to just give you $750,000. What the heck were you thinking? If I'm only getting bank interest, I want complete security. Heck, FDIC. I don't see nothing like that here. Yeah, but I... I... Okay, I... I guarantee you your money back. I'm not talking about your damn word, Jerry. Jeez, what the heck are you... We're not a bank, Jerry. Well, look, I don't want to cut you out of the loop, but this here's a good deal. I assume if you're not interested, you won't mind if we move on it. Independently. Oh, this was this top shot here was interesting. We had we basically had um I think we had like 50 cars that we were going to put into the parking lot here. And I got it, we got in the morning and set up the camera and, and just one truck had gone through to leave that one tire track. And I said to Joel, you know, let's not, let's not have any more cars. It's just such a great graphic, this little figure and this one car in this empty lot. So, so we went, um, the way, when we, the way you see it, I mean, it's kind of, that's how, you know, that's how things change and ideas come on the set all the time. I mean, you know, they're really great to work with. They're really, you know, it's a real collaboration. You really feel you're involved in, in you know, helping to, to make the film and helping, you know, help create little subtleties in there. I mean, this was such a great, great piece too. Bill was so great in this scene. Look at that. It's just, I think that was just one take. He just had it. It was just like <laughs> crazy.
Yeah, Wade, I... It's Jerry. I... Wade, it's Jerry. I don't know what to do. It's Jean. I don't know what to do. It's my wife. I don't know what to do. It's Jean. And again, as I say, with the pre-production period so important, we all spend that time together sort of going through the locations and, and say, talking about the shots and how something's going to work and how one scene goes to another and, you know, um, no great big heavy conversations, but just, you know, sort of technical conversations and aesthetic conversations about the look of the film and how we're going to do it and what's the, you know, the most productive way of shooting it and uh, of... Um, you know, it's it's a great way of working, really. It's why a film like this, I mean, it was very low budget, really. I mean, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was pretty low budget. But um, I mean, they get they make uh, they make every cent count, really. Well, this was interesting doing doing this sequence because. Um, uh, well, it comes off actually me just saying that it wasn't a very large budget, and you come and do a sequence like this where these these guys are characters driving along the road in the middle of nowhere at night, and and uh, this whole sequence, and you think, well, what are you going? What's the light source? What do you actually want to see? And um, I mean, just the practicality of trying to light, you know, empty, empty Minnesota plains covered in snow at night. I mean, you think, well, what do you want to do? So thinking about the next cut after this sequence is you see the, the aftermath during the day. I mean, we went with the idea that you, the night scenes, these characters are surrounded by blackness and then you cut to the day and it's the next characters are surrounded by whiteness and so we sort of played that concept off really. So, so decided just to go with the idea of the headlights being the only light source, which it would be, I mean, it's quite naturalistic. You know, but there is a temptation sometimes to give yourself an horizon or, or light a landscape at night and um, see more. But actually, the the interesting thing here is, I think, is being is seeing less. You know, so you get this inky blackness. Hey, I'll take care of this. This was really cold shooting this sequence. In fact, a lot of the uh, closer shots, like this one here of Steve Buscemi and the cop coming and leaning in the window, they were actually done in a little garage that we found in uh, um, Grand Rapids or something. It was we were we were a bit north of Minneapolis at this time. Um, but it, and it, basically, it was just a tin shed, and it was just as cold in there as it was outside. So you see characters' breath in the light and everything. So. But I mean, again, because there was no background, it, it, we we could do that. We could shoot the close-ups on this in this little stage, as it was. That would have been inside too. This two-shot. Uh. You know, to be in full compliance, but uh, must have uh, must have slipped my mind. So maybe the best thing to do would be to take care of that right here in Brainerd. What's this, sir? My license and registration. Yeah, I want to be in compliance. I was just thinking we could take care of it right here in Brainerd. 
We had the problem with the exteriors again because the, the, there was very little snow that year and it was melting fast and uh, we were shooting a little late in the winter, I guess, and um, we kept on having to move our location and in, in a moment you see the later part of the scene as a car wreck. Well, we shot the car wreck in a number of different places just to, just to have snow around it. It kept melting. We were almost about two miles from Canada, I think, by the time we finished the sequence. And nobody notices the landscape's different because it doesn't, it isn't really different. It's just this flat white plain. I guess it was about minus 20-odd, I think, when we were shooting this. Pretty cold. We had some equipment problems. It's mainly batteries and stuff that you get problems with. I mean, the cameras themselves, are, you change the um, lubricant in them and they, they're supposed to go down to minus 60, so we didn't really have any problems with the cameras. Um, but I say the batteries, and we had made up heater blankets and stuff for them and stuff. But it's just actually working in the conditions you find. <laughs> I remember, I remember my key grip. He had so much gear on. It. He had this huge, huge suit. Wonderful. It was a um, North Face suit, I think it was, and it was like had like polystyrene in it, like a thick, an inch deep polystyrene, something like polystyrene foam or something inside it and it kept him really warm but he couldn't move you know he couldn't do any rigging or anything his arms stuck out from his sides and he just looked like a scarecrow and he sort of waddled around in it but he was really warm it just takes a long time to work in these conditions because you know as soon as you take your gloves off your hands stick to any, anything metal just the fingers stick to it you know And you're on an insert car, and it's like out in the open and uh, bumping along. That's great. I like I like this little sequence here. I you know really I boosted the the you know the rear rear lights, the red lights on these cars and stuff. Just to I love that sort of just that red and the white. And the fact the headlights are just giving you the sense of this snow going off into the distance. And then the car comes back, so, you know, we had picked the angle so when Peter gets out of the car, he's silhouetted against the background. And, and, and the boys wanted, you know, uh, Jay Todd, who's actually the storyboard artist, is the guy that's getting killed right now. He's run, the guy that's running away with the red jacket. So it's like the red of the brake lights and the red of the, his, his costume. But, yeah, that's Jay Todd. That's uh, the guy that does all the storyboards for them, draws the storyboards. 
He's funny, actually, he's just done a George Clooney film that's just about to come out, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. It's interesting the way the guys, you know, you cut off this kind of like quite active, brutal sequence and then go into this lyrical shot that to um, introduce you to these new characters. I think it's... Uh, it was just like a wonderful little change of tone. The camera just closes on this couple in bed. It's just a, it's a wonderful little introduction to a, another world. You've just been with these two crazy guys. No cut, it's just one long little subtle move comes in and just, uh, you know, the scene plays out in this one nice shot. Real good, then. I think a lot of directors, a lot of filmmakers don't have the confidence to do that, actually. They really feel they have to cover everything. Look, the camera just pulls back as she gets up and, and reveals her husband. It just sort of plays. I'll fix you some eggs. You know, we I think we did a number of takes on this. We probably did ten or ten or twelve takes, probably. Um, but that's it. When you when you when they've got it, they've got it. That's it. We don't shoot any cover. That's they know what they want. They have confidence that that's that's the shot that's going to work for that particular part of the film. And then we just move on. You know, it's a very economic way of shooting. And then she gets up, she reveals her pregnant her stomach. I mean, it's just all there in this one little shot. Love you, Margie. Love you, hon. And here, like, we wanted this sort of blue, sense of the blue dawn, first light. So, um, and we wanted this location where you could see the kitchen table, but you could see outside, so you could see Marge getting into the police car outside the door. I remember we've spent a long time looking for this location just to get this shot and the look of the shot. You know, and then once you've got that, then you schedule it so that you can do it at the right time of day to get that, the blue light outside. Because obviously if it was a bright, sunny, midday light, you, you would never be able to do it, so. This was difficult. This was the whole thing I was saying about, you know, you, you, you see this in a, a night with the criminals and then now you see it in this kind of blinding white light. Uh, we were lucky in many ways that this became quite soft, misty light because we got there in the morning and it was bright blue sky and not a cloud in sight. And it was just like, oh, I just didn't want to shoot in it because it just didn't, it didn't feel right. You just want the sense of this horizon bleeding into the, you know, the, the land bleeding into the sky. And um, so we waited and luckily we just managed to shoot it in little bits of cloud that came along. 
As I say, this isn't actually where the car crashed in the night scene. This is somewhere totally different because by the time we came to shoot this, all the snow had melted, so we had to move north, you know. Where's the state trooper? Back there, a good piece in the ditch next to his prowler. Okay. So we got a trooper pull someone over. We got a shooting. These folks drive by. There's a high-speed pursuit. Ends here, and then this execution-type deal. I mean, this scene in particular, I mean, it was storyboarded, but I know that we actually made, you know, we we worked the shots out on on the location, actually. I mean, they're not... Uh, I don't think it really reflects the storyboard as closely as most of the times it does. You see something down there, Chief? No, I just think I'm gonna barf. Jeez. You OK, Margie? Yeah, I'm fine. It's just morning sickness. Well, that passed. Yeah? Yeah, now I'm hungry again. You have breakfast yet, Margie? Oh, yeah. More made some eggs. Yeah? Well, what now do you think? Let's go take a look at that trooper. There's different footprints here, Lou. Yeah? Yeah. This guy's smaller than his buddy. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at that trooper on the ground now. I'm wondering if it's a dummy, but I know it's actually... We used, used the guy, you know, how he actually laid down there in that snow. It's pretty good. Didn't monkey with his car there, did you? No way. Well, somebody shut his lights. I guess the little guy sat in there waiting for his buddy to come back. Yeah, it would have been cold out here. Heck yeah. You think is Dave open yet? Dave? Well, you don't think he's mixed up in there? Oh, no, no. I just want to get Norm some night crawlers. Did you look in his citation book? Yeah. Last vehicle he rode in was a tan Sierra at 2.18 AM. Under a plate number, he put DLR. I figured they stopped him or shot him before he could finish filling out the tag number. Uh-huh. So I got the state looking for a Sierra with a tag starting DLR. They don't got no match yet. I'm not sure that I agree with you 100% on your police work there, Lou. Yeah? Yeah. I think that vehicle there probably had dealer plates. DLR. Oh. Jeez. Say, Lou, did you hear the one about the guy who couldn't afford personalized plates, so he went and changed his name to J3L2404? Yeah, that's a good one. That was a shot. I remember we just grabbed it before we did the scene in the morning when we got there. We just drove the police car through the shop. Just because the light looked nice. It's another case, a simple location. I mean, all we wanted was this was this cafe with a freeway behind it, and the guys knew that they were just going to play the scene in this three shot, so it really didn't, didn't matter what the interior of the cafe looked like. We just moved the table around so we could uh, see the cars going back and forth outside. This, this theme of people constantly going back and forth. No, no cops. That's final. This is my deal here, Wade. Yeah. Gina's my wife here. I gotta tell you, Wade, I'm leaning to Jerry's viewpoint here. 
Yeah. But we gotta protect Gene. These, we're not holding any cards here, Wade. They got them all, so they call the shots. You're darn tootin'. Uh, I'm telling you. Well, why, why don't we? Stan, I'm thinking we should offer him a half a million. Eh? Now, come on here. No way, Wade. No way. We're not horse trading here, Wade. Yeah. We gotta just bite the bullet on this thing. Yeah. So, uh, what's the next step here, Jerry? They're gonna call me up and give me instructions for a drop. I'm supposed to have the money ready tomorrow. Damn it! How was everything today? Yeah, real good now. How you doing? Both Joel and Ethan, they, they write the script and they're... They both really, I know Ethan's name, the producer, and Joel, the director, and on set in the end, I think it's Joel's decision that um, counts. But they, I mean, because they've written the script and they've developed the projects together, they're, they're so in sync, it's not a case of, 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 of them ever being in conflict over anything. And uh, you'd be on the set and, you know, I'll ask either of them a question about a shot or something, whatever. And, uh, and I know they're so in sync that it, um, it doesn't matter who I ask, really. Same with the actors, you know, they'll, they'll both talk to the actors and give the actors directions between takes. And it, it's, uh, it works wonderfully well, really. And, uh, when I first started working with them, which was Barton Fink, I was, I was nervous. I was thinking, well, if you've got two people, isn't that going to be confusing? But it's quite the reverse, really. It, it, it gives... It gives them and, and um, everybody working on the film actually more chance to be have access to the director, you know, because both of them really count, you know. Nothing's going wrong here. Granddad and I, we're, um, we're making sure this gets handled right. I really think we should call the cops here. No, no, no one can know about this thing. We gotta play ball with these guys. Yes, Stan Grossman, he'll tell you the same thing. Yeah, but then... We're gonna get Mom back for you, but we gotta play ball, you know? That's, that's the deal here. So if, if Lorraine calls, or Sylvia, you just say Mom's down in Florida with Pearl and Marty. That's the best we can do here. This was um, this was, this cabin was a great location. Um, obviously, we got a big crane in there to get this this high shot. Again, very sort of specific um, shot they wanted to start with. But um, yeah, this was quite a bit further north, so it had a lot of snow around this lake. It's kind of easier to work. And this was all real. Oh, well, I'll actually say that, but uh, stuff, actually, we enhanced it around the cabin and uh, all the snow in the trees around the cabin there, actually, we did put that on the trees, I remember now, yeah.
Oh, Janie, two more of those skins will stop, please. Hiya, hon. I brought you some lunch, Margie. What are those, night crawlers? Yeah. Oh, thanks, hon. You bet. Thanks for lunch. Oh, yeah, looks pretty good. What do we got here? Arby's? Uh-huh. How's the paint going? Pretty good. Found out the Hauptmans are entering a painting this year. Oh, hon, you're better than them. They're real good. They're good, Norm, but you're better than them. You think so? You got Arby's all over me. Hey, yeah, Norm. How's the painting going? Not too bad, you know. How we doing on that vehicle? Well, no motels registered in Etan Sierra last night, but uh, the night before, two men checked into the Blue Ox registering a Sierra and leaving a tag space blank. Geez, that's a good lead. Yeah. Blue Ox, that's that trucker's joint out there on I-35. Yeah. Owner was on the desk then. Said these two had company. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we both did. She went to college, too. I went to Normandale for about a year and a half. Yeah, that's where we met. This was a real location, obviously, with a girly bar. I remember we all thought these two girls were putting the accent on, but actually they spoke exactly like that. They were really quite cute. He was kind of funny looking. In what way? I don't know, just funny looking. Can you be any more specific? I couldn't really say. He wasn't circumcised. Was he funny looking apart from that? Yeah. So, you were having sex with a little fella then? Uh-huh. Is there anything else you can tell me about him? No. Like I say, he was funny looking. More than most people, even. What about the other fella? He was a little older. You know, he looked like the Marlboro Man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But maybe I'm saying that, you know, because he smoked a lot of Marlboros. Uh-huh. You know, like a subconscious type of thing. Oh, yeah, that can happen. Yeah. Hey, they said they were going to the Twin Cities. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. So we actually we didn't we, we actually shot in the cabin so we didn't build a set or anything like quite often you do but um, basically um as much as anything because the guys want the breath coming out this really important you can see the breath coming out of this hood there that the woman that the wife's got on it's a little thing but it's kind of funny and stir crazy in this cabin. I think this is a wonderful little scene. Come on, plug me into the ozone, baby. Come on. Come on. Fuck. 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 So that's the sort of scene that reminds me of um, the man who wasn't there, really. There's so many things in, in that scene and a few scenes in Fargo that really... Very similar the way they're looking at characters to the the way the man who wasn't there was in terms of its observation of the character. Well, I'm turning in, Norm. Oh yeah. Here it is, throwing off the larval envelope. 
Marge? Yeah. Margie Olmstead? Yeah? Who's this? This is Mike Yanagita. You know, Mike Yanagita, remember me? M Mike Yanagita? Yeah. Well, yeah. Of course I remember you. How, how are you doing? What time is it? No, that's okay. Yeah, I, I'm down in the Twin Cities, uh, and I was just watching on TV about these shootings up in Brainerd, and oh. I saw you on the news there. Yeah. I thought, jeez, is that Margie Olmstead? I can't believe it. Yeah, that's me. Well, how the heck are you? Okay, you know. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that, um, we, we never, we never, I think we reshot one shot on this film, actually, it was like, Exterior of the um, exterior of the bar where Bill Macy drives up right in the opening, because I mean they didn't like it. It didn't look bleak enough the first time we shot it, but I, you know, in in like seven films, I think that's maybe the only second, only the other, only yeah, about the only time we've ever reshot anything. Very very seldom and. Um, very seldom do pickups or anything after the uh, principal photography. Um, so we did a few inserts and, and one little sequence, not a sequence, a couple of shots on Hudsucker. Um, but other than that, I think there was one insert done on Barton Fink, you know, after principal photography. But uh, but very little, I think. I don't put it down to the fact it's so, you know, it's that they conceptualize it so clearly in their heads they know exactly what they want they know the beats they need to make to make the uh the make the film they see in their heads and uh so it ends up they really really they don't they don't pick up anything or do reshoots or shoot new endings <laughs> like you know <laughs> seems to be the favorite thing to do in hollywood these days <laughs> or shoot four different endings and let the audience decide before you release the film you know no, I mean they have they have a really clear concept of the kind of film they want. You know, they they work a long time on the script. We never, for instance, you know, I mean, a, a number of films I've been on. By the time you end shooting, the script will be like a multicolored, you know, script: pink pages, yellow pages, green pages, the full color. You know, all the colors of the spectrum. By the time you're finished, because there's been so many changes done um, before and during shooting, but. I can honestly say I've never seen a coloured page on a Coen Brothers script. If the script is there but when we when we start pre-production and that's the script we shoot and that's the film you see on the screen. Um, on Barton Fink, I, I was the first time I worked with them, I counted. I mean, I remember looking at the film and counting the shots that weren't in, the, the shots that we'd done that weren't in the final film. And there was one little sequence which was... Um, a little effect sequence when um, uh, the John Goodman character is killing the uh, the, the 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 lift manager, um, the lift man, and uh, <laughs> we shot the sequence where his head falls off and rolls down the floor in the hot, in the corridor. And it, I mean, it just didn't work. So <laughs> they didn't use it, but that's a, honestly the only time I can really remember a sequence not being used. I mean, I say there's odd shots, but in, in but I think I counted. Ten shots that we'd done that weren't in the final movie, but otherwise it's just as we shot it, you know. 
very, it's very rare, actually, they even do structural changes. I mean, I th the order of things sometimes does change. I think it changed a little bit in Hadsucker. Um But as far as I remember, in, in Fargo, in this film, it's very, very much as the script. I think maybe uh, one or two, two things are ordered slightly differently, but minor things. Hi, Norm. How you doing, Marchie? How's the fricassee? Pretty darn good. You want some? Oh, no, I got... Hey, Norm, I thought you was going ice fishing up at Mille Lacs. Yeah, after lunch. Ah. Ah, we shot a little sequence where, where Norman's ice fishing, as we did, in his hut out on the ice. But they never used that. I remember we shot him sitting by the glow of the heater <laughs> with this little hole in the ice and his fishing rod. <laughs> it was kind of funny. <laughs> I never, I never knew why they didn't really use that because it's kind of a number of sequences in this film that don't really progress the plot, if you like. There's so much more about characterization and that mood. I never really understood why they didn't. Why we never saw Norm ice fishing. Damn it, I want to be a part of this thing. No, Wade, they were real clear. They said they'd call tomorrow with instructions and it's got to be delivered by me alone. It's my money, I'll deliver it. What do they care? Wade's got a point there. I'll handle the call if you want, Jerry. No, no, see, they, no, see, they only deal with me. You, you feel this, this nervousness on the phone there? They're very, these guys are dangerous. All the more reason, I don't want you with all due respect, Jerry, I don't want you mucking this up. Interesting that this shot, this scene is shot with uh, over-the-shoulder shots instead of just clean singles. Again, it was partly the, the the idea of you know the audience observing this this um, real st story that um, we shot more overs, I think, in in Fargo than on other films we've done together. Hi, how you doing? Real good. How are you doing today, ma'am? I'm doing really super there, thanks. I'm Mrs. Gunderson. I have a reservation. Yep, you sure do, Mrs. Gunderson. Hey, is there a phone down here, you think? Detective Seibert? Yeah, this is Marge Gunderson from my brain. Are we spoke? Yeah, well, actually, I'm in town here. I had to do a few things in the Twin Cities, so I thought I'd check in with you about that USFI search on Shep Proudfoot. Oh, yeah? Well, maybe I'll go visit with him if I have a... No, I can find that. Yeah, well, thanks a bunch. Oh, say, say, would you happen to know a good place for lunch in the downtown area? The Radisson. Oh, yeah? Is it reasonable? This, um, yeah, this was <laughs> all this snow was put in every little bit of snow here. If you look in the far distance in this shot, the airport roof car park, there's no snow in the far distance. It all by that time melted in the whole of Minneapolis. So all night, this um, fax guy with his uh, ice chipping machine covered this parking lot in snow. 
And obviously, we just did one take because the car had to come in and it was going to take too long to cover up the tracks. So that was it. <laughs> but it's fine, you know, again, confident and one take, that's fine. This is the only scene in the film where we've got this bright blue sky, which I kind of hated at the time, but I, I mean, I guess it's all right. But We really wanted the whole film to be kind of grey and overcast and... I mean, I just don't like the look of this. Again, we put the snow in here. It's just, I don't, I don't like the look of this light at all. But, you know, you just don't have the options. You get lucky or you don't. It's not like you can say, oh, we're not going to shoot that scene today and go and do something else, not on the kind of budget we were working with on Fargo. You know, I'm not, uh, I decided not to take the trip, as it turns out, so. Well, I'm sorry, sir, we still got to charge you the $4. I just pulled in here. I just fucking pulled in here. Well, but see, there's there's a minimum charge of $4. Uh, Long-term parking charges by the day. I guess you think you're, uh, you know, like an authority figure? That stupid fucking uniform, huh, buddy? King clip-on tie there, big fucking man, huh? You know, these are the limits of your life, man. Rule of your little fucking gate here, here. There's your $4, you pathetic piece of shit. Where's Shep? Talking to a cop. Cop? That too was a cop. So do you remember getting a call Wednesday night? Nope. You do reside there at 1425 Fremont Terrace? Yep. Anyone else residing there? No. Well, Mr. Proudfoot, this call came in past 3 in the morning. It's just hard for me to believe you don't remember anyone calling. It's interesting when we shot this film with, um, let's see, we, I'd, I'd worked with the, the Coens on Hadsucker uh, Proxy just previously, which was, you know, a lot big, bigger budget film. And um, I think it was for Warners. And, uh, you know, you go in a film like that and you have sort of expectations that it's going to do well at the box office, and it doesn't. And then... I think it was disappointing. I, I mean, that's, it's almost like that film's been discovered recent, more recently on DVD. I mean, a number of people that come up to me and say, well, that's like a proxy with, oh, what a wonderful film. And they kind of, they, they, they more open, I think, to the nuances of it now because stylistically films are, are, are maybe over much broader range now than they used to be in America anyway. And, and so it's, it's more accessible in a funny kind of way. Um, but anyway, the, you know, the box office, it bombed. I mean, you couldn't really say anything else about it. It bombed. And then the guys decided to do this small film with, you know, I guess in a way, you know, there's no pressure. It's not very much money at all. And yet it, it did very well. I mean, it didn't make huge money at the box office, but it, it made much more than its budget. And then uh, obviously it went on to be very successful at the Academy. And all. Not that anybody certainly... They don't take any notice of that stuff, but it, I mean, I'm sure they're pleased that people saw this film and it was successful, and, and gave them a bit more freedom to 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 get finance for the for the next film they did. You know, I mean, that's what they care about is having the sort of flexibility to make the films they want to make. But it's it's just it's interesting. It's just impossible to know when something is going to you know, be successful, whatever that is, or, or not. It does not mean to say it's a better or a worse film than a, another one, but 
somehow something will catch an audience's attention and something else won't. Um, you know, it's that the, the man who wasn't there, who I think regard. I mean, it's my favorite film that I've worked on with them. And um, I was, you know, I mean, it got critical acclaim, but I was surprised that that, in a way, didn't get um, seen by more people, maybe. But uh, it doesn't make it a lesser film, I don't think. Um, have him. Um... Oh, geez. I love this scene. Everybody loved this scene. But it's like got no relevance to the sort of, it doesn't develop a plot or anything. You think, well, why is it there? But it's just such a wonderful scene. It's so atmospheric and bizarre and unexpected. March? Jeez! <laughs> oh, oh, you look great. Yes, so do you. Oh, easy there, easy there. Easy there, easy there. You do too. I'm expecting Oh, you. I see that. that. That's great. Oh, what can I get you? Oh, just a Diet Coke, please. Okay. Great. <laughs> this is a nice place. Yeah, you know, it's a Radisson, so it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So. I just love the awkwardness of it. It's just beautifully done. Uh, it's actually Eden Prairie, that, that school district. So, Chief Gunderson, then. So, you went and married... I mean, Joel and Ethan are so great at casting these characters, you know, just populating their films with these wonderful character actors. ...if you're allowed to, you know, to discuss that. Oh, yeah, yeah, but there's not a heck of a lot to discuss. Okay. Well, what about you, Mike? Are you married? You got kids? Yeah, yeah, well, uh... I was married. Uh, I was married to. You mind if I sit over here? Uh, I was married to Linda Cooksey. No, why don't you sit over there? I prefer that. Huh? Oh. oh uh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, uh, no, no, just so I can see. I don't have to turn my neck. Oh, sure, sure. I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't mean to. Uh... No, no. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Um, so, uh, I was married to Linda Cooksey. You, you remember Linda? She was a year behind us. Yeah, I think I remember. Yeah. yeah. She. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it didn't work out, huh? Well, and, and then I and, and then I've been uh, working for Honeywell for a few years now. Oh well, they're a good outfit. Yeah. If you're an engineer, yeah, you could do a lot worse. Uh, but it's uh, not. Uh, it's nothing like your your achievement. Well, it sounds like you're doing really super. It's not that, uh, it's not that things didn't work out. It's, uh, uh, Linda, uh, had leukemia, you know. Uh, she was, uh, she, she passed away. No. Uh, it was tough. Uh, there you go. It was long, uh, <laughs> she fought real hard, Mark. The fact they're just playing over over the shoulders on this, I think it is more observational because you're just outside of the conversation that little bit. And if you you look at Fargo, compare it with something like you know Barton Fink in particular, it's um, Barton Fink is much more sort of formal, um, uh, front single shots or a uh, big Lebowski even more so. 
actually, you know, it's um, it's it's really all played in singles, but here it's that observational thing. I think we're on, you know, probably a 40 millimeter lens, which I think is probably, for me, it's closest to sort of my eye. Well, something a bit between a 32 and a 40. And um, it just feels like you're just sitting there watching it. It's, um, I think, you know, the idea is, uh, is I think, of, for my my job is is that it's sort of like seamless that, that you know that that a photography and the image doesn't really draw attention to itself when you're just immersed and you know that might sound odd if you think about a film like Hudsucker where the you know the photography is is really quite um, uh, in a way self-conscious but um, it it's just stylistically it's hopefully it all sort of blends together so the audience is taken into this world and, the, and this kind of visual style that has a sort of consistency to it you know and I'd say this Fargo is is kind of simple but we tried to give it a sort of slightly observational feel to it you know uh, I... um You've been to the celebrity room before with other uh, clients? I don't think so. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, well, depends on the artist. You know, Jose Feliciano, you got no complaints. This scene, we shot the theater and the performance angle, just the wide shot, um, I believe, in one place. And then I think because of, it might be an availability or scheduling or something, I'm sure this, this angle of Steve at the table there was was shot at a different place at a different time. All right. Come on. I'm hearing bells. Come on. Huh? That's funny. I remember on this scene, Joel was teasing me because I'm an old I, The whole thing's that's just lit with a 60-watt light bulb in the practical up there. And he was just teasing me. He said, no, you just lit with a 60-watt light bulb. And this was just, it's very minimal, like there's just a light coming from the street outside. Well, it's a little thing, but I mean, the scheduling that is a sort of scene that you, you might expect just to black the windows and do it, but it, it adds so much atmosphere if you actually shoot it at night and just get the feeling of the, the night light and the street outside. Just that, just seeing a tree and a little bit of distance. I actually remember arguing to do that <laughs> at night. But it wasn't so bad because the days were so short that, I mean, night was, you know, four o'clock or five o'clock, anyway. You, you fucking motherfucking son of bitch and fucking cop, Jesus Christ, fucking shit, man, motherfucker. And you look at it, just the construction of that last scene, it's all done again in just very simple little down angle, up angle. It's none of the, no sort of frantic camera work. It's all just very considered and very, very simple. And, um, well, I mean, it didn't take long to shoot at all, you know, a few hours. Fucking head, you got it? Okay, now you stay away from Scotty now. Got it? Okay, real good. shot like that, you don't storyboard. That's sort of a shot that's just made up on the day because the location just lended itself to that kind of, that kind of move. Yeah. It's okay, Scotty. Where are you going? 
I'll be back in a minute. If Stan calls, you just tell him I went to Embers. Here's your damn money. <laughs> Where's my daughter? I always laugh about this because we shot half here, this close-up, done in a totally different car than he's actually in now. Well, I think this is a Lincoln or Pontiac or one of those things. But actually, I think the close-up was done in, like, a Hyundai or something. It's just the only car we, we got. We had time and we just... The guys needed this close-up, so... It's so tight, you don't know what it's in, really. Who the fuck are you? I got your damn money. Now, where's my daughter? Oh, I am through fucking around. Drop that fucking briefcase. I think this where's was the coldest daughter? night on this parking you, lot. This was where's really brutal. Fucking instructions. Uh, where's my damn daughter? No, Gene, no money. Drop that fucking money. No, Gene, no money. Is this a fucking joke here? Happy now, asshole! It's funny, the lighting in this actually, we, we wanted this we wanted this location with a city behind it. And um the lighting's really just I, I I added lights to the poles. I mean we had so many angles to do. I mean it's not a lot of angles, but it was a lot of angles to do in one night. Um so the lighting is really just what you see on those poles. They're sort of just gags put in to make them look like they're actually the the real practicals. And uh, it's very else, very little else on the floor. I mean, the tower with the smoke, uh, steam coming out of it, obviously, in the back has got a light. I think there was, there was very minimal lighting in the background, again, because we didn't really did that, didn't have the money to do a big rigging job. So there's that, there's that one big tower you see in the back of that shot. There's some lights up lighting those buildings behind there because there's a sort of graphic shot there. And then there's um, some other little coolant towers on the back of one shot that we put a few um, 2K lights on, but it's very, very minimal. And here there was just, a, for instance, like just doing in here, there was a couple of little lights put under these beams that he drove through. But it's the sort of thing, you, you just, on a small film like this, you just don't have the budget to do a big rig and you just go with what's available and maybe just put a little bit of tweak it with a few little little units rather than adding overall lighting um but you know it's effective it's the kind of film again it's the sort of reality of it it's fine you don't you do don't need a lot of big units and complicated um complicated lighting setups really I mean, the crew on this was very small as well, you know, obviously because the, the budget was quite low. But again, you look at that, it's all specific shots, the point of view, come back to him, pan him through as he's looking and cut to his house and the car comes in. It's all so, I think, so beautifully structured and that's what Joel and Ethan do as they, they finish the script. They go through the script and they write, write their notes and they do, Joel does, and Ethan, they, well, they both do little 
little pencil sketches and then we sit and talk about it and then J. Todd Anderson, the storyboard artist, comes in and uh, over a period of weeks does a full storyboard of the the whole movie in, in detail. And even if it's just, you know, two people sitting at the kitchen table scene, they'll storyboard it to say that you need, they want singles or they want overs or, or there's a two-shot involved. And it's great because when you start the day's work, you know, you'll have gone through the the um you've gone gone through the schedule with the A D and the production manager, whatever, and then went and, and worked out how best to to structure the whole film in terms of shooting order and then but each day you'll know it really the kind of shots that are needed for that day's work and you can schedule how much time really you spend on each shot and and you know by a certain time you'll have to be moving on to do a certain scene, a certain shot in a scene because otherwise you'll lose the light or whatever, you know. It makes it makes it much more practical way of shooting. Mr. Mora? Yeah. Officer Olsen. Yeah, right oh. Well, so I'm tending bar down there at Eklund and Swedland's last Tuesday. It's a funny sequence. Originally both these characters were gonna have the hoods over their heads, so you you didn't see either of them at all, and I think after the, I think after we shot the scene, Joe, Joe was. A, I think he would have liked to have done it that way, but then when we shot it, they opened them up so we could see this character's face a little bit. But, uh, I think in reflection, he'd have liked it. Just you just saw these two hoods. He says, what do you think about that? And I says, well, that don't sound like too good a deal for him then. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah, he says, yeah, that guy's dead, and I don't mean of old age. And then he says, geez, I'm going crazy out there at the lake. White Bear Lake? Yeah, well, at Eklund and Swedland, that's closer to Moose Lake, so I made that assumption. Oh, sure. Anyway, he's drinking at the bar, so I don't think a whole great deal of it, but then Mrs. Mora, she heard about the homicides down here and thought I should call it in, so... Well, the, the, the scene's inherently funny because of the dialogue and everything, but I think it's enhanced by the fact that you just sit and watching these two characters in this one frame. You know, you're not, you're not cutting around, you're not seeing their faces, it's just like two guys standing out in the middle of the snow. Well, thanks a bunch, Mr. Mora. You're right, it's probably nothing. But thanks for calling her in. Sure. Looks like she's gonna turn cold tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Got a front coming in. Yeah, That's you good. got that right. Jesus Christ. Minute. I'll have a little table napkin.
This was funny because we had to put the snow on the road here again. The snow was just disappearing. And uh, Joel really wanted the snowbank all the way down to where he's uh, planting the briefcase. You can see it's like really melting there. But um, now we've got enough there. I just love this fence. tricky thing working in snow like this is you only get one take and you've got to kind of move down, you know. <laughs> Every take you move down, so by the end of you've done six takes, there's six little holes all the way along the fence. funny. I don't know why I think that's the funniest thing. I remember that was just one take and he just fell over. It's just so great. Oh, Valerie, I'm leaving this morning. Back up to Brainerd. Well, I'm sorry I won't see you. This was another location we really searched for because the guys just, again, wanted this freeway outside. They wanted this, again, this idea of just people moving. And like the idea, I guess, it's like who knows who, who what's in the next car to arrive, who's in the next car to arrive in town, you know, another couple of serial killers or whatever. It could be anybody. I, I know that was the idea. But it's we never found exactly the right... You know, this room's pretty good, but it's still not quite right. You really wanted this... I guess it's pretty hard to find a hotel where the road suddenly turns and goes directly away from you, you know, something. Well, jeez. That's a surprise. Mr. Lundegaard, sorry to bother you again. Can I come in? Yeah, no, I'm kind of, I'm uh, kind of busy here. I understand. I'll keep it real short then. I'm on my way out of town, but I was wondering, do you mind if I sit down? Carrying a bit of a load here. No. I... Yeah, it's this vehicle I asked you about yesterday. I was just wondering. Yeah, like I told you, we haven't had any vehicles go missing. Okay. Are you sure? Because I mean, how do you know? because he, the crime I'm investigating, the perpetrators were driving a car with dealer plates, and they called someone who works here, so it'd be quite a coincidence if they weren't, you know, connected. Yeah, I see. So, how do you... Have you done any kind of inventory recently? The car's not from our lot, ma'am. 
But how do you know that for sure without doing a... Well, I would know. I'm the executive sales manager. Yeah, but I understand. We run a pretty tight ship here. I know, but, well, how do they establish that, sir? I mean, are the cars counted daily, or what kind of a routine here? Ma'am, I answered your question. I'm sorry, sir? Ma'am, I answered your question. I answered the darn... I'm cooperating here, and there, uh, there's no... Uh... Sir, you have no call to get snippy with me. I'm just doing my job here. I'm... I'm not... Uh, I, I'm not arguing here. I'm cooperating, and there's no... We're doing all we can. Sir, could I talk to Mr. Gustafson? Mr. Lundegaard. Well, heck, if you wanna, if you wanna play games here, I'm working with you on this thing here, but okay, I'll do a damn luck count. Sir, right now? Yeah, right now. You're darn tootin'. So damned important to you. I'm sorry, sir. Ah, oh, what the Christ. He's fleeing the interview. He's fleeing the interview. Uh, oh, he's getting outside the line here. Uh, all right. Yeah, Detective Cyber, please. I told you it was over, and I thought I made myself very clear. Oh, you did. You made yourself perfectly clear. But something's come up. What? Well, it's something kind of small, but it might be a big problem. I'm pregnant. Huh? I'm pregnant. I've had a doctor's test. I've got the certificates, and there's no doubt about it. I'm going to have your baby. Now look, sir, I can explain this. See, Robin was in a student of mine, and she You should see the other guy. Fuck happened to her? I uh, she started shrieking, you know. Jesus. Well, I got the money. All of it. All 80 grand. The only thing I remember about this scene, I was just looking at is that when you see um, the dead wife on the floor and the, the stove there, it's like the stove's still on, the heating element's burning red, and I remember we had a piece of neon made up like the stove element, so you could read it like the stove was on. 
Silly little thing or things you remember, but but it did give the effect of it being cold and uh, a little touch. Hold on, no fucking way. You fucking notice this? I got fucking shot. I got fucking shot in the face. I wasn't got the fucking money. I got shot fucking picking it up. I've been up for 36 fucking hours. I'm taking that fucking car. That fuck is mine, you fucking asshole. You know, I've been listening to your fucking bullshit all week. Are we square? Are we square? Yeah, you fucking mute. And if you think you're fair and Shep Proudfoot, tell him I'm gonna nail his fucking ass. Our homicides. Yeah. And this guy was who? Lundegaard's father-in-law's accountant. Gustafson's accountant. Yeah. But we still haven't found Gustafson. Looking. Sorry, didn't copy, Lou. Still missing. We're looking. Copy. And Lundegaard too? Yeah. Where are you, Margie? Oh, I'm almost back. I'm taking a drive around Moose Lake. Oh, Gary's loudmouth. Yeah, the loudmouth. So the whole state has it, huh? Gustafson and Lundegaard. Yeah, it's over the wire. It's everywhere. They'll find them. Copy. Yeah, we got a lead on this. There's a car! There's a car! Whose car? My car! My car! Sierra. Sierra. Okay, you're careful, Margie. I'll send a couple cars. Oh, look at it. I'm, I'm just so surprised how simple it is, you know? The coverage. I mean, it's really so simple. And so this here is about the only time we actually tracked with a character where we actually, you know, moved with somebody and it was just to get that little bit more sense of uh, suspense there, you know? <laughs> of course, everybody talks about this sequence. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I forget the story behind that, but somebody bought it, became a, a valued prop. 
Yeah, it was funny shooting this. I mean, it's grotesque, but it was funny shooting it. Ridiculous. I'm I'm surprised people weren't more actually aghast when they saw it, but... <laughs> but, like, this was something actually, you know, I think they'd read in a newspaper account or something. I mean, it, somebody had... You know, there was a story that this is how somebody tried to get rid of a body. Oh, this was a funny thing. You can read the price tag on the bottom of the boot. And it's like $9.66. I mean, and it wasn't intended at all, but it's like when we saw the dailies, it was, we just fell about laughing. I don't know why, just because it's got the price on the bottom of the boot. It's a silly thing, but it was like a really nice touch, but unexpected. That's where we shot the Norm doing his ice fishing that they never used. This was tricky because that point of view shot of the, the like cloudy day snow um, was done obviously at one time when we just managed to grab it. And then this shot here was done on a bright sunny day. And I think we actually, I think we did this poor man's process because it was a bright, bright day and I just, yeah, I just traced the back windows and stuff. This was done in another time. And you can see, I mean, I hate it. I Probably other people don't really notice, but the back window on Fran's shot is blue and on Peter's shot it's white. And it's just because it's like different day, different light. And then you're trying to match it with points of view. I like the shot on Peter. I like that sort of contrast on his face. Here you are. And it's a beautiful day. I remember we shot this with Fran twice because we, we lost the light when we were scheduled to do it first time. See, now it's different. Yeah, now that's, that's, that's the day we shot it better. And then, yeah, that goes back to the first sequence again. which really doesn't match the lighting conditions of the close-ups, but there you go. Is this your Burgundy 98 out here? Just a sec. Could you open the door, please? Yeah, yeah, just a sec. Just a sec. It was interesting, this little piece, because Joel really wanted this like, handheld sort of news kind of reportage kind of, you know, just that effect that it's, you know, the, again, the going to the sort of documentary sort of realism aspect of it. I mean, obviously it works just for 
covering it anyway, but it's a very particular moment to go handheld. There's none in the rest of the film. And it also is a great contrast, you know, between that character's life and then this shot of this just this static kind of slow move on the on these other characters. They announced it. Yeah. So. Three cent stamp. You're Mallard. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. It's just a three cent. It's terrific. Hoffman's blue wing teal got the 29 cent. People don't much use the three cent. Oh, for peace, of course they do. Whenever they raise the postage, people need the little stamps. Yeah? When they're stuck with a bunch of the old ones. Yeah. I guess. It's terrific. I'm so proud of you, Norm. Heck, Norm, you know, we're doing pretty good. I love you, Margie. I love you, Norm. Two more months. Two more months. I still like it as a movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it for ages, but it's quite touching, isn't it? I think Fran's performance is quite wonderful. Um, it's very touching, and I think that end is really, you know, really resonates. It's very interesting. It's brought back a lot of nice memories. <laughs>